Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Happy 4th of July. You know, I was supposed to have been born on the 4th of July. I was supposed to be like a Yankee Doodle Dandy born on the 4th of July. True story, I was born on July the 3rd. And the reason I was born on July the 3rd is the year I was born, 4th of July fell on a Saturday. And mom's doctor wanted to go to the lake on Saturday for the 4th of July. So he gave mom castor oil on July the 2nd, and I came on July the 3rd. So I kind of feel like I was gypped. I should have been, you know, able to sing Born on 4th of July. But what a country we live in. I mean, God bless America. And what a gift you and I have been given that we were allowed to live here. I mean, we didn't do anything to make this. I didn't create it. I didn't think it up. I didn't dream it up. I mean, other people created the concept, developed the concept, fought for the concept, built this world, and I benefit from it. And all I can do is just be as grateful as possible and and fight to keep it the way it is because, man, what an incredible place America is. When you think about America, you go, what is America really? Is it a place? Is it people? Is it a government? Here's what I think. I think America is an idea. I really do. I think it's an ideal. And the ideal is that people are better off free. I think think that's at the core of what it is, that government is to be of the people, by the people, and for the people. But at the end of the day, I think America means that we're better off if we're allowed to be free, which means I might not always agree with what you say, but I'm better off in a world that lets you say it. It means I may not always agree with how you worship, and you may not always agree with how I worship, and you may hate me, and you may not like me, and you may have bad thoughts about my mother, but you're free to do that. And you're free to worship how you want because we believe that people who worship however they feel led to worship are better off, and we're better off in a place that allows that. Because if we stop letting you do that, then somebody will stop letting me do that. And I'd rather let you do that so that I can do it too. That's America. We don't cancel each other just because somebody says something we don't like. We don't shut people off and shut people down because they have ideas that are different from mine. America's not a cancel culture. America's a charitable culture. It says that whatever you say, whatever you believe, whatever you value, I'm charitable enough to allow you the freedom to believe that. That's what makes America great. And there's never been another nation in the history of the world that so benefited its people, that so promoted the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world, and that did so much good in the world as America. And I'll tell you, I grow weary of people who don't understand that. And yet, I think freedom is so important that I want to defend your right to not understand it. That's what America is. And thank God we're Americans. I love America. I love being an American. I love the fact that God allowed me to live here. And it's the greatest gift that God has given me apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation that comes through Him. I'll tell you that. Because He's allowed us to do what other people can't do. So I'm grateful. But let me say this. We're not here today because of America. We're not in this room because of America. We're in this room because we serve a different king. And while I have a great allegiance to America and to the flag, my greater allegiance is to Jesus Christ. 
Because he said, my kingdom is not of this earth. And here's the truth. America's going to come and go. Sadly, I hate it, but it's going to come and go because kingdoms do that. But the kingdom of God, if Jesus doesn't come back to this earth, it, it's going to be forever. And whether He comes back to this earth or not in my lifetime, it doesn't matter. The kingdom of God is permanent. And, and Jesus said that His followers have a higher allegiance. It's to the kingdom of God. Now here's the funny thing. That's where real freedom happens. You see, the sad fact of the matter is that there are a lot of people who live in this free country called America who are not free. Jesus said, you want to be free? Here's how you're free. He said, those who abide in My Word, if you abide in My Word, then you shall know the truth. And listen to this. That truth will set you free. Not the truth of some uh, philosophical ideology, not the truth of some idea, not the truth of some economic theory, but the truth of what God speaks into our lives. And here's the funny thing about the truth of Jesus. It often runs counter to what seems to be natural or cultural. I mean, He said, if, if you want to be first, then come in last. If you want to gain your life, then lose it. And if anybody wants to be the greatest of all, what's He say? What do you have to be? A servant. And so as we delve into these basic principles of the kingdom of heaven, we begin to realize that God doesn't operate on the same standard that we operate, and He calls us to something different. And one of the primary things He calls us to is serving. And so we've been doing this thing called serves up, and I love the idea of serves up. It's like the opportunities here. Let's elevate service. Let's serve it up. Let's be servants. Because that's what Jesus calls us to do in this kingdom. Um, and so we, we each week are going to focus on a different aspect of serving. This week, the focus is standing for the voiceless. And I took the time between the services, and I hope you will. There are booths all around the worship center today, in the main corridor, in the commons, out here. And the different booths dealing with the different people who maybe don't have a voice. They can't speak for themselves, so somebody has to speak for them. For example, Life Choices is over here, and they deal with unborn. I, what is that graphic that was up? 98 abortions an hour in America? Is that what I read? That's stunning. Who's going to speak for them? Project 2.5, uh, CASA, which is uh, child advocacy stuff, Louisiana Heart Gallery, Department of Children and Family Services. There's a, there's a ministry out here called Freedom 13, and it's a ministry that targets women who are coming out of sex trafficking and helping them to get on their feet and function in society now. You need to go by there. Louisiana Baptist Children's Home is here. Check them out. Ascent and the, uh, the Center for uh, Children and Families. All of those are with us today. And so as we talk about serving and as you're thinking about how can I personally serve, maybe one of the areas that you want to look at is some of the areas in serving to help become a voice for the voiceless. So, but let's go back to the original, to the beginning, okay? Why serve? That's the question we have to answer first. Why serve? Some of you guys are natural born servants. I envy you. I'm not. That's not my thing. I don't naturally default to serving like some of you guys do. And so when somebody says, hey, Bill, you got to be a servant, I'm like, why? And so we backed up last week. We started talking about it. What's our motivation to serve? And it begins and ends with the great commandment, right? And the great commandment is simply this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Got it? And so at the end of the day, I serve because serving is a Jesus thing. 
And I serve because I serve in reaction and response to Jesus. So I'm expressing my gratitude. It's reciprocal service. It's like, because Jesus served me. And isn't that what He did? Isn't that what Christ did? He didn't regard equality with, thing, uh, with God a thing to be held onto, but emptied Himself and taking on the form of a servant. He, he became obedient even to the point of the cross. So Christ on the cross begins to serve the fundamental need of man, which is, man, I'm lost. I'm fallen. I'm in sin. There's nothing I can do about my sin. And so Jesus did for me what I couldn't do for myself, and He served me. And now I spend the rest of my life trying to find ways to say thank you. The primary way I do that is through serving. So it's an expression of gratitude and of honor as I imitate Christ as dear children, and I honor Him through the behavior of mimicking His behavior. But ultimately, it comes down to love. As I serve Christ, I'm expressing my love because when I serve them, I'm really loving Him. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. You got that? So serving is a Jesus thing. But that's not the whole part of the great commandment. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the second part? Love your neighbor as yourself. And remember, Jesus changed that. He said, a new commandment I give to you, not so much that you love your neighbor as yourself. He said, but that you love one another as I have loved you. In other words, you love your neighbor more than you love yourself. It's not so much that I do for them what I would have done for me, but I do for them what Jesus did for me. And He loved, them enough, he loved me enough to die on the cross for me. You got it? And so the second aspect of this loving thing is serving is a loving thing. It demonstrates that I love people. Let's go to Luke chapter 10, and let's take our Bibles, turn on our devices, whatever you look at, pull out your sermon notes. If you don't have the sermon notes in the form of the sheet, they're on our app. Just go to the App Store, grab the North Monroe app. The sermon notes will come up and you can follow along and you can kind of dial in. I believe that something powerful happens when it goes from our ears through our head to our hand. And when we begin to write things down, it begins to internalize and we begin to retain it. So let's, let's pull out our sermon notes and let's look at it. Luke chapter 10, we're going to park here today, okay? Familiar story, the story of what we call the Good Samaritan. Now, let me say this. Jesus never called him good. Nowhere in the Bible does he say he was the Good Samaritan. Some of the texts say it was a certain Samaritan or just a Samaritan, but he wasn't the Good Samaritan. He was just doing what neighbors do. And so here's how the story goes. Verse 25, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Now, stop there. The word lawyer, okay, in our minds, it conjures up ideas of a defense lawyer or a prosecuting attorney or a civil lawyer or a family attorney or, or a corporate attorney. Some person that has some specific expertise in some aspect of, of law, whether it's civil law, criminal law, whatever. That's our idea of a lawyer. That word was nomikos, and in their day, unlike us, it's not a democracy, it's a theocracy. And so everything about their society was based upon Mosaic law. So when you hear the word lawyer, expert in the law, it's not some specific expert as separated between religion and state. They didn't have that separation. It was all tangled up together. So not only is this a powerful spiritual figure, but he's also a very powerful uh, uh, government figure. He's an expert in the law. And his assignment was to trap Jesus. Because here's the, here's the knock on Jesus. 
He's soft on the law. That's what everybody said. Because he would talk about grace. And they're like, he's soft on the law. He doesn't really believe the law. He's trying to abolish the law. Even though Jesus himself said, do not think that I came to abolish the law. Matthew 5, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. You know what the cross is? It's not an abolition of the law. It's a fulfillment of the law. Because what does the law say? The law says those who sin must die. And so Christ on the cross satisfied the justice of God on the cross. He fulfilled it. They couldn't get that. Jesus said heaven and earth are going to pass away, but the law is not going to pass away. Not a, not a letter or stroke, but they're trying, to, they're trying to catch him, okay? And so the lawyer comes to him saying, teacher, what, uh, to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So they're thinking he's going to say, you know, believe in me, right? Um, but Jesus, he knows the trap and he gets it. So he doesn't deny the law. Verse 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? See, Jesus knows what's written in the law. He says, how does it read to you? You're an expert. What do you see there? And here's the funny thing. He's, the guy gets it. Verse 27, he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. I mean, he, he nailed it. Great commandment. That's the summation of the law. You do that. Jesus has already told somebody else, you do that and you've done the whole thing, right? So stunningly, the guy nailed it. But look at verse 28. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, do this, poeo, do this, and you'll live. That's shocking. Jesus doesn't say, believe in me, because you can't do that. He said, do this, and you will live. And, and all of a sudden, us grace people begin to react to this idea of work salvation. Wait a minute, you're saying... All he's got to do is keep that commandment and he's going to live. He's going to find eternal life. Here's the thing. Jesus knew he couldn't do that. He knew he couldn't. This guy was so chained to this idea of salvation is to be earned through achievement. So Jesus played along. What do you think the law says? The guy says, love the Lord your God with everything you have and your neighbor is yourself. He said, okay, you got it, man. Now go do that. In other words... Keep it perfectly your entire life. Never stray from it. Never fail in it. For your whole life, do that, and you will earn eternal life. The lawyer knew he was trapped. It's so funny. The lawyer started to trap Jesus, but in the process, he got trapped. Because he knows, man, I can't do that. He understands. He understands Romans 3.23, the wages of, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody does. There's none righteous, not even one. He's no fool. He gets it. And so he thought he could trap Jesus. He falls into the trap. Jesus said, you know, you can get to heaven through the law if you can keep the whole thing. The lawyer's like, nobody can do that. So now he's trapped. Look at verse 29. But wishing to justify himself. You got it? And that word justify means to make himself seem more righteous. Trying to get out of this trap, he says to Jesus, okay, who's my neighbor? Now we're at it, you know. What do I have to do to love? Who do I have to love? I mean, he's still deceived. He still thinks it's possible to achieve righteousness on your own. But what we've got to do is we've got to narrow down this thing. We've got to whittle away at this command a little bit to make it more doable. That's what he's after. I've got to make this thing more doable. I've got to lower the bar so that I can jump it. Here's the funny thing. Legalists love to add stipulation to every rule, and then they avoid keeping the rules by incessantly arguing over the stipulations. That's lawyer stuff. 
Let's take something that's black and white. You sin, you die. And let's turn it as gray as we can. Okay, well, let's talk about what the definition of is is, you know. And the next thing you know, they're trying to muddy the water to such an extent that they can sort of finagle themselves around the rules to, to pare it down. And so his, his dodge was, well, okay, who's my neighbor? You're talking about proximity. You're talking about ethnicity. You're talking about shared value. You're talking about people of my socioeconomics. You're talking about people that I, that I work with, live with, love with. I mean, what are we talking about here? And the funny thing is, Jesus doesn't answer the question, who is my neighbor? He doesn't answer it. Instead, he answers the question, he asked the question, whose neighbor are you? And he does it by telling a story. I, love I had a guy one time come to our preaching class and he said, just remember, God only had one son. He made him a preacher and he told stories. And so Jesus begins to tell a story. He said, uh, he replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's a famously notorious road. It was a narrow road leading out of Jerusalem uh, down toward the Dead Sea and and people would often be waylaid there. And, and that's what happened to this guy. He fell among robbers. They stripped him and beat him and led him away, leaving him half dead, okay? By chance, a priest was going down the road. Maybe you've heard this story before. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So the priest sees him. This is a, you know, this is a guy that's supposed to be a caregiver, but he doesn't give any care. Uh, he passes by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, another spiritual guy, when he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. So let's hit the pause button. Let's learn from this, okay? Here it is. For love is expressed by what you do. That's the point of everything Jesus is going to say. See, serving demonstrates love, and love is expressed by what you do. I'm reading this, and I'm, I'm asking myself, what's the most shocking part of this story to me? And I'll be honest with you. The most shocking part of the story to me is the behavior of the priests. Uh, have, I mean, these are like spiritual guys. These are like shepherds. These are guys who are supposed to be, you know, the caregivers, and they didn't give a single care about this guy. Um, and so for me, that was the scandal. These priests weren't getting anywhere near this guy. Look at verse 31. He passed by on the other side. Verse 32, he passed by on the other side. It's not like he brushed by, he passed by. Like, like okay, this, this, is the, this is the hurt and bleeding guy. I'm the priest. I see this guy. Here's what I do. I don't go, hey, bud, you know, I do this. I go, ooh, the other side. I'm as far from him as I can get. What does that make you feel about these priests? Now, I've heard guys say that they steered clear to stay clean. This guy might be dead. And if you're Jewish and you're headed to the temple and you got a dead guy and you touch him, you're unclean. So you can't do your church stuff. So, man, I got to stay away from him because I got to stay clean because I'm going to the temple. Well, a couple things with that. First of all, isn't it okay to miss church one time to help a dying guy on the side of the road? <laughs> Let me just say this. If you're coming to church and you see a dying guy on the side of the road, it's okay to miss church. Take care of that guy. Would you do that? I mean, isn't that okay? But secondly, what makes you think they were going to church? 
One of the idioms of Hebrew at the time was that whenever they spoke about Jerusalem, they would always speak about it in terms of going up to Jerusalem. And anytime you were leaving Jerusalem, you were going down from Jerusalem. We don't do that. We, we do up and down based on latitude and altitude, right? If somebody's south of me, I go down to them. If I'm coming up from the south, I come up from there. Or if I'm coming from a mountain, I'm coming down from the mountain or I'm going up to the mountain. That's how we do it. That's not how they did it. It was always, in every case, if someone was going to Jerusalem, I'm going up to Jerusalem. If I'm coming from Jerusalem, I'm going down to Jerusalem, right? So you always went up to Jerusalem, always came down from Jerusalem. Verse 30, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's leaving Jerusalem, he's going to Jericho. We know that. And, and listen, Jericho was was a lower altitude and it was slightly to the south. So you could have said that, but they wouldn't have said that. They said he was going down to it because he was moving from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, read it carefully. Watch this. Verse 31. And by chance, a priest was go going where? Down that road. You see it? The priest was going down on that road. Had he been heading to the temple, he would have been coming up on that road. It says, likewise, the Levite, he was going the same direction. They weren't going to Jerusalem and the temple. They were leaving Jerusalem and the temple. You say, so what? Well, they weren't going to church. They were leaving church, which in some ways makes it even worse. They've been to church. They've been inspired by the power of the Spirit in that worship service. And then they walk out and they walk right past the guy. It didn't matter if they were clean or not. That cat won't flush. The reason didn't fit. They didn't avoid him out of some spiritual obligation. They either thought he was too much trouble or it was a trap. Either way, they kept walking, and in both cases, they didn't love, which to me is the shocking thing. And I become so judgmental, and I'm like, I can't believe these guys would do this. And then all of a sudden, I heard the Spirit say to me, what in your experience has led you to be so shocked by this? Are you saying that you're not capable of the same thing because you are? I am, aren't you? I'm capable of walking right past need. I'm capable of going, ah, oh, somebody else will take care of it. Or I don't know that guy's really, is he faking it? You know, is that just ketchup? I mean, is it a trap? Is he trying to hurt me? We're all capable of this. So the shocking thing wasn't the behavior of the priests. Be careful if you're shocked by someone else's selfishness, then you probably aren't aware of your own selfishness. Because if I'm honest, I have to say I can do the same thing. The most shocking part of the story was the Samaritan, verse 33. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Man, the Jews were totally racist toward the Samaritans. The Samaritans were this byproduct of genetic corruption. Uh, they were originally a part of the Jewish nation. Uh, long story, 700, they got defeated by the Assyrians and the Assyrians brought other people groups in there and they intermarried. And, and so they became sort of like the less than Jews, you know? I don't know how you say it, sort of less than Jews, less than special, less than chosen, but still part of the family. They're that crazy cousin you got to invite to the family reunion, but you really don't want to sit next to him while he's eating the chicken, right? That's the Samaritan. The Jews hated them so much that if they had to go to Galilee in the north and they're traveling from Judea in the south, they would walk all the way around Samaria because they didn't want to have to talk to a Samaritan. And now Jesus has made him the hero of the story, which I love. Talk about courage. 
I mean, everybody, when he said the Samaritan, a shock went through that crowd. Don't miss it. Here it is. The bad guy Samaritan in the Jewish eyes did what the good guy priest in the Jewish eyes didn't do. And the question is, who loved? The Samaritan loved. How do we know? Because he served that guy. Love is expressed through what you do. And here's the second thing. When you love, you serve. You know, you can say that either way. It's sort of like one of those words like wow. You know, you can spell wow either way. It, one way it's spelled wow, and you turn it around, it's still spelled wow, right? Well, this is the same way. You serve because you love, and you love because you serve. Same thing. Why did that Samaritan serve that guy? Here's the bottom line. Because the guy needed help. He served him because he needed help. But why did the Samaritan help him? He helped him because he loved. And he loved because he helped. The priest's lack of love was seen through their inaction. The Samaritan's love was seen by his actions. James says the same thing. You say you have faith, show me faith without works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. It's seen in what you do. So let's, let's look at what he did. The first thing is he saw him. But a Samaritan who was on the journey came upon him, and when he saw him... Now let me say this. The priests and the Levites saw him too, but they didn't see him. They didn't see him. The Samaritans saw him, and they saw him. Here's what happened. The priests and the Levites saw him as a problem. When they saw it, he was a problem. He was going to alter their agenda. He was going to take up their time. He was messy. He was a problem. So they didn't see him. The Samaritan, when, when he saw him, he saw him as a human being, a hurting, breathing human being that needed help. And so the next thing happened, he felt compassion for him. And that word compassion is calm, which means with, and pasco, which means to suffer. He didn't just see him as a problem. He saw him and he suffered for him. He suffered with him. And i got to tell you, human suffering is all around us. You know, we had five men pass away in our church this past week. It's unbelievable. Uh, we've had little children um, who've, who've died in terrible tragedies, uh, either affiliated with this church in some way or a part of this church. It's, it's, it's been an unbelievable world of suffering. And if you're not careful, you become like the priest and the Levite, and suffering becomes sort of like the music that plays in the grocery store while you're walking around, and it's on and you hear it, but you really don't hear it. And the needs are around you and you see them, but you really don't see them because you never engage. You don't engage. But he, this guy engaged. His heart became soft and reawakened to the hurts of others. And look what happened. He went to him. This is the key difference. He didn't just see him. He felt compassion, and his compassion drove him. It says he went to him. He came to him. In that moment, he threw out his agenda. He changed his direction. I think the priest and the Levites saw the guy. I think they thought he might have had a twinge of compassion, but something kept them from from going to them, they just closed their hearts and went wide the other way. Maybe they were too busy. Maybe they felt inadequate. Sometimes we do that. Like, I don't know what to do, and I don't know how to fix this. This really isn't in my training or my expertise. And maybe they're like, maybe, will somebody call a doctor? You know, that's the easy thing to do. This guy didn't do that. He went to him, and then he helped him. It says he bandaged up his wounds. You know what happens when you bandage up people's wounds? The stuff coming out of them gets on you. You kind of kind of mess with junk. And when you start engaging in hurting people's lives, you got to start messing with junk. It gets messy. Bandaged his wound, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his beast, brought him to an end, took care of him. 
changed his schedule, got messy. But look at this. He sacrificed for him. On the next day, he took out two denarii. A denarii was a day's wage. He took out two denarii. Y'all ready? A day's wage. You know how much you make a year. Divide that by how many days a year you work. That's how much money that guy gave him. That ain't just $2. That's a lot of money. The more you make, the more it costs. He gave him two denarii, two days wages to the innkeeper. And he said, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. And I'm like, wait, he's coming back the next day. Even we don't do that. We like triage people. We get them to where they need to go and we like check on them later. But this guy's like investing time. He's investing money. He's sacrificing. But isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus gave it up. He went to the cross. He he sacrificed. He gave it all. And now He's saying to us, you want to be a servant? you got to love them the way I love you, which is exactly what the guy's doing. And so Jesus finished the story. He's basically saying love is costly. And then he, here He goes. He said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Notice, don't miss it. The guy had asked, who is my neighbor? The question Jesus ends with is, who was the neighbor? In other words, whose neighbor are you? And the lawyer got it. He said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said, here we go. You ready? Because this is for you. Go and do the same. I want you to do something, okay? We're done. I want you to do something. Put yourself in that story. You're in the story of the Good Samaritan. You in it? Which one of the people in the story is you? Truthfully, you may be the guy that's bleeding on the side of the road and you're just hoping for a Samaritan. You may be praying for a Samaritan right now. You might be the priest. You might be the Levite. But there's only one person in that story who proved to be the neighbor. Which one of those are you? The Bible says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, <clears throat> with all your soul, with your mind and your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The question is not who is my neighbor. The question is whose neighbor are you? Are you willing to do it? Go and do the same. You got to see, you got to feel, you got to move. You got to get involved. You got to sacrifice. You willing to do that? Well, don't tell me. Tell Jesus. Let's pray right now and you can tell him. Best of you know how in your heart, God, make me more like the Samaritan. I want to serve. Make me a servant. It's not natural to me. Make me a servant. Father, we commit to you that we're going to be servants. We're going to. We're going to engage in the needs of people around us, whatever they are. We're going to adjust our agenda, change our schedule, invest our time, invest our assets, try to help people. Maybe it's getting involved with one of these ministries that's already engaged in, in, in some of the most basic human needs. Children, abused people, people in genuine crisis.
God, help us to not just see, but to see and to feel compassion and put that compassion in our heart that was in the heart of Jesus, that we would show our love to you. Father, I thank you that Jesus went to the cross to die for people like me, imperfect and sinful, fallen, frail, broken. And yet, God, you loved us anyway. You loved me anyway. You loved me enough to die for me. I pray for those that are here today. Maybe they're on the side of the road. They're hurting and bleeding. and Life hasn't turned out the way they had hoped. God, I think, first of all, I pray that they would hear Jesus and hear your heart and give their heart fully to you. But I also pray, God, that these Samaritans who are hearing the call, the call of the Samaritan, that in this moment, they would begin to open their eyes to that need and engage. Because none of us can do this by ourselves. We need help. So help us to help each other. We thank you for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.